0: Welcome this morning. It's great to see you all here today. Uh, If you were here back at the end of April, start of May, you would have heard the beginning of a series called Satisfy Us, Pursuing God Through the Psalms. We did three weeks back then and guess what? We're back there today, Pursuing God Through the Psalms. And that's the journey that we're on for the next 10 weeks while Pastor Andrew and Sharon are on leave. So the Psalms are the prayers, the songs of God's people, and today, as Kevin has read for us, we are looking at Psalm 16, which is a beautiful, simple song of trust. It's a song of a man who knows what it is to feel safe, so he asks God to protect him, to keep him safe. I was just wondering, how safe do you feel here this morning? A couple of months ago, someone we know while they were at church, their car was broken in at church. The thieves got a bill out and went round to their house and robbed their house while they were at church. Some other people that we know very recently have been victims of scams on their computer, on their phone. It's rampant, isn't it? Burglaries on the rise. Scams are on the rise. I'm sure you've all got virus protection. I'm sure probably some of you have security cameras and maybe guard dogs at home to protect your house. But I also, I'm pretty sure that a number of you would have insurance. Do you know, five years ago, Australians were paying on average $5,000 a year in insurance premiums. I'm sure that's gone up with COVID and the bushfires and the floods. We spend a lot, don't we? But we keep paying it because we want to know that our house is safe. We do what we can to lock the doors, but we want to know something bigger is underwriting us. But I want to say to you today that something way, way better than insurance is assurance. And Psalm 16 gives us keys to understanding assurance. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the king established by God. The king who fought long and hard to bring his nation to a place of peace and safety. And 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 4 says... Because because the Lord loved David, the Lord gave him a kingdom in Jerusalem, allowed him to have a son to be king after him, and the Lord also kept Jerusalem safe. This is a psalm of confidence. Confidence is that unshakable feeling that you can definitely rely on someone or something. And we know the world encourages us to be self-confident. Well, that's false security, isn't it? The Bible continually says our confidence must be in the Lord. The only way to be secure in life is to depend on God. The Bible gives us two ways, with God or not, safe or not. And in this Psalm that we're looking at today, 16, David is so unashamedly confident in God and his joy is overflowing. He wants everyone to know the reason why. His request at the beginning, keep me safe, it doesn't come from this place of fear and anxiety, but it comes from someone who is grateful to be where they are and is confident and excited about the future. Do you know what it's like to be in a place like that? And when you do, it's a place worth protecting, isn't it? So David is in that place because he's in a covenant relationship with God And God is eternally faithful. He always is trustworthy. David has a choice and he knows it. Will he or won't he remain secure in the covenant? You know, God has brought him in and God promises him eternal security. But David knows very well that this assurance requires a commitment from him. So when we read Psalm 16, it's a celebration It's a celebration of what it looks like when commitment and assurance are aligned. But I want you to think maybe rather than aligned, intertwined, and do this with your hands, humour me, intertwine your fingers like that. Feel what a stronghold that is. This Psalm 16, it intertwines this theme of commitment to faithful living and confidence in a faithful Lord. That is a secure place to be, isn't it? That is the safest life possible when you've got those two things intertwined. So they are our two points for today's message. First of all, commitment to faithful living, which is encouraged by this psalm. If you were to look at the previous psalm, number 15, David gives an outline of what faithful living looks like. He knew the standards were high. God is holy and he demands no less of his followers. David knew the moral law. He knew the civil and the ceremonial requirements for covenant faithfulness. And if he kept those, it would protect his place in the blessing of God. Thank God for Jesus who came and fulfilled the law. Hey? And he rephrased the law of what we are required to do. We are required to love God and to love our neighbour. And if you want to take those two commands, love God and love your neighbour, and express them in a negative way, you might say, loving God means no idolatry. Loving your neighbour is no immorality. And these commands come out clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Idolatry is not loving God properly. And immorality is not loving people properly. But I actually think it's more than that. Because Idolatry is failing to... Sorry, immorality is failing to prioritise God in the way you relate, relate to other people. It's falling short of loving people how God loves them. And the Bible says there must not even be a hint of immorality among God's people because this is improper for God's holy people. I want to ask you, what do you think is the biggest issue for Christians today, idolatry or immorality? Well, actually, I reckon it's the same as it's always been idolatry. Because if God is properly on the throne of your heart, then it will follow that immorality is far less of a temptation. And if God is on the throne of your heart and your whole soul out to Him, you will be far less likely to engage in behaviours that disappoint Him. And when you do sleep, because we all do sleep from time to time, then you'll be quick to come to your knees in repentance. We've got to love God first. Because when you think about it, loving people is not specifically a Christian thing to do. Plenty of non-Christians, plenty of atheists commit to lives of social justice and charity. When we are loving people without God as our guide and strength, it actually becomes a form of idolatry. Have you thought about that? It leads us away from holiness to God because we put higher and higher importance on people's response to the way that we treat them and to the things that we say. We put a greater importance on people than we do on God. So faithful living always means God first. Apart from God, we have no good thing. So David in Psalm 16, he knows that to worship God alone, he needs to be very, very wary of the company that he keeps. So he guards himself. He surrounds himself and he looks to those who will encourage his faithfulness and he distances himself from those who will damage his faithfulness. In verse 3, he speaks of the holy ones. The holy ones are the ones who are set apart by God, for God, and to God. And David says, They are the best people in the land. They are his people, they are his crowd, they're the ones around about him. He feels safe with them. So you want the people who have the most influence in your life to share the values and priorities, to share your commitment to honouring God. We can't choose everyone, can we? But we do have a degree of say in... We can be deliberate about who we spend most of our time with. We can be deliberate about who we allow to speak into our lives and over our lives. You know, there's a verse that says, ''Don't be unequally yoked.'' We often apply that to marriage, and so we should... But the same thing could be said for any significant relationship in a Christian's life where choice is a factor. If you're going into business with someone, don't be unequally yoked. If you have a best buddy that you spend hours and hours with, don't be unequally yoked. If you're looking for someone to mentor you, don't be unequally yoked. If Sunday morning is the only time when you are intentionally connecting with other Christians, it's not enough. You know, be deliberate in making friendships where spiritual matters matter. It's not that hard to do it. Let me show you a really simple tool. Free app you can have on your phone, the Uversion Bible app. And it's got plans and you can connect with other people. And each day, in the comfort of your own home, you can read a little verse, a little devotional... And you can be connecting and encouraging one another in this. Some of our young adults and others in our youth group have been using these plans recently. If you'd like to know more, why don't you ask one of them after the service today? You know, if you don't know who to connect with, come and see me because I'm sure there's someone else here who would love to come alongside you and encourage you in your faith. The most delightful relationships that any Christian should have should be with other Christians. Make a friend. Be a friend. Reach out. Come alongside one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Friends who share your love for the Lord, they're going to protect that love, aren't they? Conversely, in verse 4, we need to keep a safe distance from those who don't love the Lord. Or maybe it's better said, keep a safe distance from the things that they do because they don't love the Lord. Because rather than encouraging us in our faith... They're going to distract us from God. And eventually, distraction from God leads down a path to devastation. David is clear. He says, those who prefer any other God go from sorrow to sorrow. It's all downhill. And David is going to have no part in their lifestyles. He names two practices in this verse that might be a little bit strange to us. I don't know. First is libations or libations of blood and the second is taking up of the names. So libations of blood, it's pouring out of blood, a sacrificial offering of life, whether it's human or animal. David doesn't say here but both of them are on the table in his time. Libations of blood were poured out to appease, to manipulate the gods And then taking up names. This is not um, a fear of mentioning a name for identification. So it was okay for David to say Baal or Ashtoreth. But what this is, it's a ritual repeating of a name, invoking a name to get a spiritual response, usually for personal benefit. Now David knows there is no greater name than that of the Lord, Yahweh. It's a name that Jews won't even write or speak for fear of misusing it. And we know that with the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, God has given him a name that is above every other name. That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on heaven, on the earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord because there is no other name under heaven in which salvation is found. The name of Jesus. Well, David, he knew that he was protected in the covenant But he also knew that he lived in a world surrounded by people who were continually looking elsewhere for their protection, looking elsewhere for their provision. People who were pouring out their resources in all the wrong places. People who were scrambling for assistance from idols which were ultimately worthless and useless. And David says, I'm going to have no part at all in their God-denying lifestyles. I wonder, does that scenario sound a little bit familiar to you? Those of us in Christ know that we are protected by him. And yet we live in this world where we are surrounded by people who are continually pouring out their resources for others in the wrong places, by people who are scrambling for assistance that's going to ultimately fail them. So I ask the question, are we to have no part in their God-denying lifestyles, like David says in Psalm 16? Well, on the example of Psalm 16 and quite a bit more scripture, I'd say the answer is clear. Yes, children of God are to have no part in God-denying lifestyles. That's not saying we don't have good relationships with people who don't know the Lord yet, but we don't participate in anything that would deny God. We don't participate in anything that endangers our relationship with him or that would um, diminish others for the opportunity of understanding who he is. In every situation, in every relationship, the bottom line for us to live a safe life in God is to know that our identity is child of God and God is number one for us. And that is what should determine our choices. That should what determine our behaviour, our words, our influence. Because when we are following God's lead, when we are listening to the Spirit, when we are obedient to the Word, we are constantly aware of His presence with us. That's when we can be strong and courageous, isn't it? That's when we know that He has given us authority to walk across the land, to trample on snakes and to trample on scorpions, and we will have the victory in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that one? Amen. You know, there are plenty of snakes around where I live. Hope that doesn't shock you too much. You know, I've only seen a couple up close. But let me tell you, when the weather warms up, my eyes are open. I am vigilant and watching. And I'm keeping doors to the house shut. You know, I'm not scared of them. I don't stay inside hidden in fear. But I don't want to be sharing my house with a snake. But snakes, they don't all look like that one, do they? No. Well, people like me who have lived in Bendigo all their lives, we're very familiar with the Bendigo Easter Fair, aren't we? Easter, it's the busiest time of year in Bendigo for tourism. It's a wonderful opportunity for churches to have their doors open, to get out and to be a welcoming and inviting presence in the community. But the reality is that often all the activity that goes on in our town is a distraction from the one who deserves the greatest honour at Easter, isn't it? Jesus. Do you ever think that maybe we're in a city filled with thousands and thousands of people who are clapping and cheering as demonic spirits are paraded through our streets? Mm. When I was a kid, there was an annual school excursion to the Joss House at Easter time. It was built in 1871 by Chinese people coming out for the gold rush. It's a temple for their god of war and prosperity. And our parents withdrew us from that excursion every single year. And you know... I'm glad, you know, maybe it's okay to appreciate artistry and to understand culture, but it's even better for us to have an understanding of temples and gods and dragons and the danger they're in. They are not to be trifled with. You know, in developing countries, spirit world activity is far more obvious than it is here in Australia, but we are heading in that direction. And people of God need to have our eyes open and be aware. Our friend from India, she cannot believe how laid-back Australian Christians are about other faiths, concerning other religions. You know, Christians in her hometown in India stay away from pagan temples. They stay away from the pagan celebrations and the pagan practices. They know the deathly danger. Yet in our nation, it's a celebration of culture. How do you feel about that? Okay, what about smoking ceremonies and welcomes to country? I have I have very little understanding firsthand of indigenous culture but I choose to research the work of people whose words and action demonstrate that they have a heart for indigenous peoples and they also have a heart for Jesus These are people who are committed their lives are committed to engaging with culture sympathetically biblically and missionally three important factors I notice from what I've researched that First Nations people living in northern and western regions of Australia view Indigenous affairs differently from the way people in the south do. I notice from my reading and listening that Christians in southern states are far more relaxed about participating in ceremony. There's even Christianised smoking ceremonies. However, On country in the north, Indigenous Christians distance themselves from traditional ceremonies. And I suspect that's because they've seen the impact of what Rod Rivers knows to be true. He says, Ceremony is not simply culture. It's religion. And it's linked to diabolical demon spirits that are being given access to lives, to families and to our nation. The Uluru Statement of the Heart... It proclaims that Aboriginal culture is steeped in spirituality. No matter which way you look at her, Mother Nature is not interchangeable with God Almighty, Father, Creator of heaven and earth. Greg Anderson, he is the current Anglican Bishop of the Northern Territory. He's written a very helpful, simple little booklet called Biblical Ceremonies. It was written first in Creole, which is one of the four Indigenous languages he speaks, translated to English. I would suggest you grab hold of it and have a listen to it. Um, He considers how the gospel may interact with culture on different points, but he gives this mandate that we must always be praising Jesus and spreading the good news about him. Culture is one thing, spirituality is another. In Scripture, Old and New Testament, there is no mistake at all. God constantly forbids his people to participate in ceremonies and practices of other faiths. The gospel is not and was never meant to be oppressive. It was never meant to be about colonisation and repression. The gospel is a glorious proclamation of freedom from oppression through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are to seek justice for all people. We are to humbly ask our merciful and our compassionate God to help us see others how he sees them. We are to build authentic relationships with people from every nation, tribe and tongue so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with them because he came for all people. And don't we know that our town and our nation needs a dose of the good news of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, we need to be wide awake to the reality that there are deathly influences alive and well in our community. And many people that we know and love and people we don't know, and we don't have the opportunity to love yet, they are on a very dangerous place when it comes to eternity. We are to be light in a dark world, aren't we? We are to shine love and we are to shine truth so that others want to come to know Jesus. We must protect the flame that is burning within us. We must never let it be smothered by politically correct inclusivity and woke sensitivity. You know, David lived in a time that was very heavily influenced by Mesopotamian and Egyptian culture and Indigenous cultures all around about him. In his time, daily life was actually focused on manipulating the feelings and the activities of the dead on behalf of the living. In Aboriginal culture names or in parts of aboriginal culture names of the dead are not spoken lest their spirits be disturbed in the ancient near east where david was living names of the dead were uttered over and over again to keep them present and active for the benefit of those who are living now the bible is very very clear on this point god's people are never to engage with the dead we wouldn't do that would we We know that seances and psychics are not okay. We know not to engage with spirits and ghosts. We probably all know the story in the Bible of David's predecessor, Saul, who took it upon himself to go to an outlawed medium and asked her to conjure up Samuel, the prophet, to come back from the dead. It wasn't a good idea. It was not an example to be followed. And David clearly distances himself from that in this Psalm 16. Well, when I was researching for this message, all in the name of research, I googled how to talk to the dead. And I thought I would get sent straight to the psychic hotline. But no, we are much more sophisticated than that these days. Do you know where I got sent? Grief bots. Yep, that's right. While your loved one is living, you spend lots of money and you get them to spend lots of time with a researcher to create a replica. And AI means that these replicas are becoming more and more lifelike and spontaneous, realistic. Voila, life goes on. You know, generative AI is taking the sting out of death. They are offering peace. It is offering comfort. It's offering guidance from a departed spirit, 21st century style. What do you think about that? Ethically and spiritually dangerous territory. Don't go there. You know, I'm sure we've all got house and contents insurance. Well, I hope you do. But we still lock the door, don't we? We don't want it easy for the crims to get in. We need to lock the door of our lives to any evil influence. We need to not let the devil get a foothold. You know, David in Psalm 16, he doesn't deny the existence of these evil spirits. He simply refuses to engage with them in any shape or form. The only spiritual entity he says to engage with is the Lord, the one and only God. Anyway, don't want to ski you today with all this talk about snakes and evil spirits and stuff like that. Fingers crossed you'll all be right. Touch wood. Don't let those words cross your lips. Okay. Now, I know that we probably aren't thinking of the pagan roots of those sayings, but aren't they empty and useless words? Aren't they wasted opportunities? Wouldn't it be so much better to say, I've got an interview coming on Monday, not fingers crossed, but please pray for me, you know, acknowledging God. And then when you have success in the interview, it gives you an opportunity to thank God and to praise God, to bear good witness to God. Yeah, let's go with that. Let other people see the trust that we have in God. Let other people see how good he is to us. You know, we have been saved by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought from darkness into his glorious light. We have been rescued from the powers of darkness and from the grasp of the devil. So why would we want to dabble with anything that takes us away from him? Why would we want to get involved with anything that detracts honour being given to him? We want to keep him as our one and only, don't we? We want to never let there be any doubt about where our allegiance lies or where our faith is grounded or where our blessing flows from. God alone is my portion and my cup. Can you say that? you know and what god asks of us in faithful living it is so small in comparison to what he has done for us and what he promises us and that is clearly david's attitude in this psalm which brings us to point 2 which is shorter than point 1 don't worry confidence in a faithful lord psalm 16 it's full of covenant language i wonder if you picked up our songs this morning were full of very similar language to this psalm lot portion, boundary, inheritance. The fact that David was king over Israel was testament to the truth that God was fulfilling a promise he made to Abraham a 1,000 years before David was born. And David's joyful gratitude, it just rings out in this psalm. I wonder how easily we share our joy. How loudly do we proclaim the safety that we have in Christ? You know, all around us, people are out. They are waving flags loudly and proudly. They are advertising their joy and their freedom and the celebration of the ground that they have taken back. But Christians, well, we tone it down, don't we? Especially in the public arena, we tone it down. Probably because we're either afraid of the repercussions or the pushback or we just can't be bothered with it. But, you know, when we keep quiet about God's blessing, we're denying God the glory he deserves. He deserves our gratitude. He deserves gratitude that shows people how good he is, good to us in so very many ways. You know, I talk to many of you at different times and I know there's a lot of gratitude in this room to be part of this church fellowship. I love it when I hear people say, well, actually, we came along here because our friend said that they love being part of this church. It's great advertising, isn't it? You know, sure, we have our challenges. We have our threats. David did too. If you just read the next Psalm 17, you'd hear a few of the threats that he had. But we keep our eyes fixed on God. We keep him at our right hand and we will not be shaken. We'd love to see more people coming, wouldn't we? We'd love to see every seat filled and overflowing. So let's not mask our joy in the blessing of the Lord and our gratitude to him. What better advertisement is there than satisfied customers? But, you know, it wasn't just his place in life that David was grateful for, but it was for the assurance of God's guiding presence with him. God's counsel, his wisdom, his instruction, they were always available, even at night, says David. The time when your fears and anxieties, they kind of wreak havoc, don't they, at night. But David's heart instructed him. And why did it do that? Because David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who filled his heart with God's word and encouraged him and instructed him. He delighted in God's word. And that was a deliberate, ongoing choice that David made, keeping his eyes fixed on the Lord. And I wonder what about us when we can't sleep at night? What is our choice? Do we follow our thoughts down every dark and dingy rabbit hole that they go? Do we open our phone and scroll or swipe? Or do we take thoughts captive and make them obedient to the love of Jesus Christ? Do we have scripture stored in our heart to meditate on in those dark hours of the night? Have we developed our prayer life so it's our default language in the middle of the night? It directs our thoughts. Because that's when we won't be shaken. That's when we have even more reason to be glad. But you know, wait, because there is more reason to be glad. There's always more with God, isn't there? The best is yet to come. And when we get to verse 10 of this psalm, um, what David says is absolutely revolutionary for someone who's living 1,000 years before Christ. He has a confidence and a hope and a joy that is found nowhere else in his world. He has a foretaste, a glimpse of glorious resurrection. David was given Holy Spirit insight to the plans that God had for his family. David knew that God was fulfilling the promise he had made to Abraham of land and people. And David was also confident that God would fulfill the promise he had made to him of a king on the throne forever and ever. If we go to Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday, he quotes the final verses of Psalm 16 and he declares, David is looking forward and he is seeing and speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ, the anointed one whose body would not see decay. Because Peter... To Peter, he knew it was very clear. David could not be speaking of himself. And to the people listening in Jerusalem that day, they knew David wasn't speaking of himself because they knew where David's tomb was. We know from Josephus that King Herod had built this white pillar at the gateway to David's tomb. His bones, his decaying body, was there in Jerusalem. But also there was an empty tomb, the tomb of Jesus, because Jesus' body was not held in the grave. It did not see decay. In Psalm 16, David sees Jesus resurrected, and then in Psalm 110, he sees Jesus exalted. And David's confidence, his hope in the Lord, is because of the assurance that he has of Jesus as Messiah, resurrected, And Lord exalted. You know, we often say, don't we, without the resurrection, Christians would be pretty pathetic people. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 15. But because of the resurrection, we have victory over death. It has lost its sting. We have certainty of moving forward into a glorious new life that goes on and on for eternity, eternal pleasures in the presence of the Lord. That's security, isn't it? That's safety. But you know, it's not just looking forward to eternal life in heaven. It's abundant life now with Jesus because of the resurrection. Okay, because of his death, we have been given forgiveness. But because of the resurrection, we have life. Romans 8.11 says, If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then it will give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit living in you. It's the Spirit of a living Jesus that helps us live a committed, faithful life. But you know, it's not just what the resurrection means to us that boosts our confidence It's the weight of the resurrection in presenting the gospel to others who are dead in their sins. There is power in truth, isn't there? And when you look at the evidence available, it means that the most reasonable explanation for our Christian understanding of the resurrection is that it is true. It really happened. The gospels give an eyewitness account And those accounts would stand in a court of law. The resurrection, it really happened. And if it really happened, isn't that the most amazing miracle of all? You know, it's a -a one-of-a-kind miracle. And when you realise that a miracle is true, you've got to respond to it in some way, don't you? What choice do you have but to embrace the Saviour who rose from the dead? You know, there are so many testimonies of atheists who have come to Christ after considering the evidence. You might want to check out J. Warner Wallace on YouTube or Right Now Media. There is nothing like resurrection truth to set people free. So how vitally important is it that we know the truth and we proclaim the truth? Jesus is alive. He died on the cross. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. One of those scriptures just happens to be Psalm 16 verse 10. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your faithful one see decay. That verse 10, it's prophetic, isn't it? Verse 11 was immediately true for David. God had given him very, very clear directions of what was required to live a faithful life in the presence of God with the hope of eternal joy. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was immediately true. But then David had greater hope of more that was to come. And 3,000 years later than David, we know that what he said was true, don't we? Our eyes have been opened to the risen Jesus. You know, though he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He has raised us up from death. He has shown us how to live. He has placed his spirit within us. He has promised never to cast us out from his presence always to be with us and he has prepared an eternal home for us. Isn't that a song worth singing? Isn't that worth celebrating the confidence, the safety, the security that we have in our Lord and our Saviour? So I am going to ask the worship team to come back now. We've already sung some wonderful songs of confidence this morning. I hope you are encouraged. But as they come, I just was reflecting. We don't know the tune that David sang. In Psalm 16, we don't know the instruments that he used, but we know the tone of his voice. His voice was confident. Confident because he was committed to faithful living. Confident because he knew there was no better place, no safer place for him to be. Confident he would never be abandoned. Confident that he had eternal joy and pleasures awaiting him in the presence of his God. What a wonderful assurance that is. What a wonderful assurance this Psalm 16 is to each one of us. And I hope that you have been encouraged, that you are feeling more confident because of the time we have spent in Psalm 16 today. I hope that your heart is glad and your tongue is ready to rejoice with the good news of your risen Saviour. And I hope you're ready to stand up now because we're going to have one more opportunity to stand and to belt out a song with confidence today. So let's do that together.